0: Whatever may come, what a line in that, uh, him to introduce some thoughts, whatever may come. Well it's come this week hasn't it, we've had news of two or three hundred callous criminals being taken into custody, preventing murders and saving countless lives, we've uh, seen selfish COVID-infected people travel through western New South Wales into Queensland before presenting with symptoms. We've seen one of our national heroes stumbling over himself and others in the courtroom trying to clear his reputation. Leaving Barton too late to meet Joy from the op shop, I had to break hard coming into that uh, school zone in Scullin, That white van was parked there. Your speed has been checked. What about you, that piece of cake you ate that you knew you should have left until later? The little white lie you told to save your skin. What are we? We're human, that's right. But what's James been teaching us since we were in Romans 1? What's his words? I am a big fat sinner. We just can't help ourselves. To err is human. But the good news is, God knows. And He cares. Pray with me. Now Father and our God, please open your word to us this morning. Take the words I've prepared and apply them to our hearts in the message that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name. Paul closed chapter 4 with this amazing statement. He, that is Jesus, was handed over because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God in chapter 5 Paul sets out to answer the perfectly natural question how does that work I hope to bring out of chapter 5 three key points God took the initiative to bring us into a brand new relationship with himself Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world To spoil the relationship that should have been. Jesus Christ's obedience deals with Adam's legacy of sin and death oh so effectively. Last week, James showed how Paul took his Jewish readers back to the father of the Hebrew nation. In chapter 5, he takes all his readers back to the father of all nations, to Adam. Introducing Adam, he says in verse 14 in the New Living Testament, Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Other translations talk about a figure of him or a type of Christ. Let's think about it this way. Adam was the first of the old humanity who led everyone into disobedience and death. Jesus is the first of the new humanity. Who leads everyone into God's gracious gift of life. Chapter 5, Paul makes two references to sin and the law. In verse 13 and later in verse 20. Paul will return to the law later in chapter 7. Which will be the subject of a future sermon. But for now, let's understand that the law was given so that everyone can see how bad it is. They are. Finally, the word righteous or righteousness, as Paul uses it here, seems to be almost interchangeable with the phrase made right with God. Thinking about righteousness as being made right with God will help us to make sense of chapter 5. In the beginning, God created human beings in his own image. In Genesis 1.27 we read that. It's clear from Genesis 2 that God intended that man should not be alone. So he made woman to be his partner. As Pastor James reminded us a fortnight ago. The account in Genesis 3 seems to indicate that God was in the habit of walking in the garden. With that first couple. As friends. But on that occasion in verse 8 of chapter 3. Something terrible had happened that spoiled their friendship. We'll look at the detail of that a little bit later. But I want us to understand that God's purpose in creating people was to care for his creation and to enjoy his friendship. Last week, Pastor James showed how Abraham's faith had made him right with God. The author of Two Chronicles records King Jehoshaphat's prayer When he was in great danger, and he reminds God, And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend, Abraham? Abraham's recognized as God's friend. Abraham enjoyed that very special relationship with God because he believed that God existed. The good news is that we too can become God's friends. How's that, you might ask? Well, that's the question Paul sets out to answer in chapter 5 of Romans. First of all, God took the initiative to bring us into that brand new relationship with himself. Let's ask ourselves what that brand new relationship looks like. The first 11 verses of chapter 5 suggest three key results from God's initiative. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing the glory of God. Paul' starting point is we have been made right in God's sight. How? By faith. Just like Abraham was made right in God's sight by faith. And there's more. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, being made in right in God's sight. Because of our faith, we stand in, his, in this place of privilege now, right now. And we can look forward confidently and joyfully to sharing God's glory. Still uncertain? Let's have a look at the how, what, when and why of all this situation. How can we be confident we have this peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us what has he done for us he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with god when when did he do that christ came at just the right time and died for sinners utterly helpless sinners why did he do that that leads me to the second result of god's initiative verses eight and nine But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Jesus didn't wait till we were perfect. Didn't even wait till we started some futile journey towards perfection. A journey demanded of people by many of today's world religions. He came and he died for us while we were still sinners. Utterly helpless sinners. No preconditions. No obligations. And again there's more. Not only are we made right in God's sight through the blood of Christ. But also Jesus will surely save us from God's condemnation. Yes, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards, as we saw when we looked at chapter 3 back in April. Next week we'll be reminded in chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. But here in chapter 5 we see two astonishing truths. That we are made right with God by the blood of Christ. We are saved from God's condemnation because Jesus has suffered it for us. That's right. Jesus suffered God's condemnation in our place. So if God has invested so much of himself in making us right in his sight, we might well ask, what's in it for him? That brings me to the third result of God's initiative. Verses 10 and 11. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Our friendship with God is restored. Why restored? Did we have a friendship before and lost it? Well, yes. I hope we'll see that the new humanity benefits from what Jesus has done. And the benefits include a wonderful new relationship with God as his friends. Let's recap the chapter so far. The first 11 verses of chapter 5 tell us that God took the initiative to bring us into a brand new relationship with himself. We have seen that God did this in three ways. Jesus brings us into a privileged place of peace when we believe it. Jesus did this while we were still utterly helpless sinners. And Jesus makes us friends with God. In the second half of chapter 5, Paul contrasts Adam, the first of the old humanity, with Christ the first of the new humanity. The difference is clarified when we look at these effects separately. Keep in mind, God has taken the initiative to bring us into this brand new relationship with himself. Why was this necessary? This leads to my second main point. Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world to spoil the relationship that should have been. We should have been friends with God. Let's have a look at the devastating effects of Adam's disobedience. Devastating not just to himself, but to the whole of the old humanity. Paul interweaves Adam's actions with those of Jesus. So I've tried to precipitate out Adam's actions and their consequences to give us clarity over the seriousness of the disobedience of sin. Follow along with me on the screen, or if you have chapter 5 open. Verse 12. Adam sinned, sin entered the world, sin brought death, death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. All people died, even those who didn't disobey an explicit command. Verse 15, Adam's sin brought death to many. Verse 16, Adam's sin led to condemnation. Verse 17, one man, that's Adam's sin, caused death to rule over many. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Many became sinners because Adam disobeyed God. Sin ruled over all and brought them to death. Paul has outlined in eight verses... The steps the old humanity has taken. A catastrophic descent into eternal separation from God. Separation from God who had made Adam in his own image and likeness. And made him for fellowship. The old humanity became utterly helpless because of sin. The law didn't help, it just shows people how bad they are. Something new was needed. God had to take. The initiative. This brings me quickly to my third point. Jesus' obedience deals with Adam's legacy of separation from God oh so effectively. Let's have a look now at how different from Adam's disobedience has been God's initiative through Christ's obedience. Again I'll summarize what Paul says verse by verse in chapter 5 as he contrasts the effects of Christ's obedience with Adam's I've simply distilled the actions and the results of Christ's obedience so that they're plain for us to see. Follow along with me. Jesus brings God's wonderful grace and gift of forgiveness to many. God's free gift leads to our being made right with God in spite of our sins. All who receive God's gift will live in triumph over sin and death through Jesus Jesus's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Many will be made righteous because Jesus obeyed God. And finally in verse 21, God's grace rules instead of death, giving us a right standing with God resulting in eternal life through Jesus. The new humanity benefits from what Jesus has done the benefits comprise forgiveness righteousness triumph new life eternal life in a wonderful new relationship with God as his friends let me recap those main points then God took the initiative to bring us into a brand new relationship with himself Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world and brought death and to the old humanity, and Jesus' obedience deals with death, and by God's grace, gives new, new humanity to all believers. If that was the complete message of chapter 5, we might ask, Well, why do we who've received this new humanity still suffer pain? And death. Why do Christians around the world suffer persecution? Believers always have, from the apostles onwards. Think of Polycarp, a disciple of the Apostle John, and later Bishop of Smyrna. At the age of 86, chose rather to be publicly burnt to death than to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, statistics seem to indicate that more Christians are persecuted and die for their beliefs than at any time in the past. An exclamation exclamation can be found in Romans chapter 5, some verses that I skipped over earlier. Verses 3 to 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. We know how they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. If this was the only verse in the New Testament that expressed this this sentiment, I'd wonder why Paul mentioned it here. But it's not. In fact, it's right there in the middle of Paul's explanation of the new humanity. But it's a recurring theme. James, chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Acts chapter 9. The Lord said to a nervous Ananias of Damascus, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Much later in life Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy so never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord and don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him with the strength That God gives, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Jesus Himself said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, take up your own give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. So why is it that suffering is invariably associated with the new humanity? We could ask also, why did Jesus have to suffer? I've come to realize that there is just one answer to both those questions. Because we have been given a new humanity. We stand out as different. The old humanity does not like different. Even good different. So, think about that. Because we have been given the new humanity. It's a gift. We don't have to earn it. Last week, Pastor James reminded us that most world religions say you must strive to meet the standard. Strive to improve yourself. Jesus said, I've done it for you. Just believe and receive it. What have we been given a new humanity being made right with God. <clears throat> That's what the religious are working towards all their lives. How can believers receive it as a free gift? Isn't that just arrogance? Think about what happens when the Muslim, in the wo- Muslim world a Muslim becomes a Christian. If you've read Brother Andrew's Secret Believers, you'll understand what I mean ostracism or worse is invited by an individual who receives christ it's an affront to their people muslims are a close-knit community although they live in fear and uncertainty about their eternal future the followers of christ has assurance of eternal life and god's perfect love drives out the fear of the future A member of our church has unconditionally offered employment to an Iranian national who is currently in a camp in Turkey, there for fear of his life. Because if he returns to Iran, he'll be killed because he's become a Christian. (coughs) Many other world religions, (coughs) and even some so-called Christian groups, likewise resent the free gift that the believer receives. Believers knew humanity is what they long for, but they want to earn it. They want it as their right. Receiving it as a free gift is too easy, not fair, undeserved. Too right. We do not deserve it. I'm indebted to John for lending me Chuck Swindle's Insights to Romans. In it, I found the author's reflection. On a challenge, he'd set his Bible study group of about 70 people. Note this, uh, James. (coughs) He'd asked them to write a brief explanation of the gospel, just in a sentence or two. How many turned in a correct answer? Five. After working with his group for a little longer, he realized that people find it difficult to accept the concept of grace because the world is a you-get-what-you-pay-for kind of place. Naturally expect salvation to be the same. Before long, we're earning brownie points towards heaven, attending church, memorizing scriptures, turning the other cheek, preaching the occasional sermon, and so on. Eventually, we arrive at the logical conclusion... All this work is surely getting God's attention. Hopefully it will reward me. Maybe even let me into heaven. But God's economy doesn't work like that. Grace is the currency of heaven which makes grace an utterly absurd concept in the world. Grace is free to the receiver and costly to the giver. Read that again. Grace is costly to the giver, but free to the receiver. Grace is given with no expectations, no conditions, no constraints, and no record. In fact, grace is not genuine grace if it can't be abused by the person receiving it. And many do abuse grace. When someone continually lavishes grace on undeserving people who for the most part abuse it, we call that someone gullible, a sucker, ridiculous. Surely God would never set aside his dignity or stoop so low, would he? He would. He did. Let's read together. The next verse, Philippians 2, 6-8. It's an old hymn that uh, used to be sung by the early Christians. Read it with me. Though Christ was God, He did not think equality with God something to cling to. Instead, He gave up His divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Our Lord didn't deserve the treatment that he received at the hands of the old humanity. Which brings us back to where we started this morning. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. Once again, God took the initiative to bring us into a brand new relationship with Himself. Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world and brought to death the old humanity. Jesus' obedience deals with death and by God's grace gives a new humanity to all believers. I hope Romans 5 now makes it clear to all of us how we are made right with God. It's all about grace. How will you respond to grace? Will you abuse it? Will you try to add to it? This morning you might be thinking, I didn't realize salvation was a gift. I want it. If you do, please come and talk to someone at the end of the service. We'd be delighted to pray with you. please think about my invitation as we sing our final song this morning. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. The song repeats the theme of Jesus being my righteousness. Notice especially the third verse. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future is sure. The price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. Let us sing it together.